Well, this morning's gospel reads like a gift wrap package for modern secularists. Uh, these are people who maintain that religion is a uniquely divisive institution in human history. And here we have the ipsissima verba, the very words of Jesus Christ, saying that his intention is to cause division and not peace. Uh, this passage has been a problem for scholars of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, peace is actually a major theme of his Gospel. So, for example, in Luke's Gospel, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, prophesies that the infant Jesus has come to guide us into the way of peace. Likewise, uh, at the Lord's birth, Luke tells us the angel saying, Peace on earth, as we did just a moment ago. Etim terra pax. So did Luke forget halfway through his gospel? Or uh, there are plenty of scholars who say that Luke's not a very good editor because his message is not consistent. Um, but let's help out the great evangelist uh, as believers. And let's quote another saying of our Lord's. But let's this time go to John's gospel. Peace I leave to you. My peace I give you. And then he makes an important distinction. Not as the world gives do I give you peace. So there are two types of peace, it would seem. There is a type that the world gives us, and then there is another type that our Lord gives to us. And this is the difficult part of our Lord's peace. It is achieved for us through his passion his cross and death and resurrection, this baptism with which he will be baptized, which he is anxious or eager or in anguish to accomplish. In last week's gospel, our Lord advised us to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. This is because in heaven there is no thief. Uh, there's no threat of it being stolen away from us. There are no destroying moths there are no hurricanes or floods, etc. Our earthen treasure is always at risk, and our attempts to preserve it have to take this into account. This world, uh, things are not stable in it. They, they decay, they get damaged, uh, they get stolen, um, etc. We can even go back two weeks, because actually the church has been giving us this theme over and over. It's an important one again for Luke. There was the rich man who built bigger and bigger barns to store his abundant grain. This, I, I can finally relax. I have peace for myself now. Uh, only to discover that his life was over and uh, his own life was not safe from the sickle of death. The peace that the world tries to give us is based in this attempt to stave off the inevitable. And because it's in tension with things that are just inevitable in this world, there's a paradox to it. There's a, it doesn't quite work. And this is why uh, so much wisdom literature in Judaism, Christianity, and other traditions wants to call our attention to the, the fact that things pass in this world. Uh, wisdom literature is typically concerned with change, decay, death, etc. To remind us, things might feel permanent. If things are going well for us at the moment, we might imagine it'll last forever. We finally got it figured out and everything's going to be fine. This is not the words of the wise. Uh, if I go back to Plato's dialogues, the brothers will remember this. In the Phaedo, Socrates goes so far as to say that philosophy, that is the love of wisdom, uh, 
is a preparation for death, a rehearsal for death. It is not a recipe, that, that is to say, for a worldly type of peace. Uh, and, of course, we all know how things end for Socrates and how his message was received by the pious, uh, stable Athenians. They, they didn't take his message very well. Why is it not a recipe for worldly peace? Well, partly this is because there's something mysterious in us that resists this bit of reality. As I say, as long as things are going all right, it's tempting to think they'll just continue on and we won't have to worry anymore. Uh, back in 1989, I remember when uh, communism started to fall apart, uh, there were scholars who were writing about the end of history. We finally figured it out. Uh, democracy and capitalism, no more wars. It uh, didn't work out that way. I was very disillusioned. I was a college student at the time. Of course, we went into Iraq about a year later, and uh, I was of uh, war-fighting age, and I wasn't very happy about it. Uh, but it, there is no end of history in this world. There's a culmination of history, but it culminates in the next life. As I say, there's something about us that resists this reality. We don't like to think that we have to part with the things we have or the people we know, that things decay and fall apart and die and so on. Among these things are our own bodies. So we have an inclination to cling to these things that are instable, to try to preserve them, hang on to them. And, as I say, sometimes we can be pretty successful. At least we judge our lives you know, by, say, years or decades rather than by uh, generations or centuries. There's an apparent permanence to things that we can secure for our lives. And this gives an appearance of peace an appearance of security and prosperity, uh, but it's, it's illusory. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be striven for. It doesn't mean we should try to you know, make things a mess all the time. But I'm just saying whatever peace we can achieve is always temporary. And also it is the case that security often comes at the price of heightened force. You know? So if we're going to have stuff, we might need to protect it. We might need police. We might need a military, etc., and uh, once you have a military, defense very easily slides into preemptive violence, for example. And then what you had instituted to bring about peace is now causing violence and, and destabilizing things. So this is just life in this world. Human effort, efforts to achieve peace, uh, these are attempts to thwart nature to some extent. They're attempts to take issue with the way things are set up. So our Lord offers us a whole string of teachings on this theme. Uh, perhaps the most poignant being, whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, because, as I say, we all tend to have this resistance to losing our lives, uh, these teachings themselves tend to raise resistance. And because of this, they create divisions between those who can accept them and those who are not yet ready to accept them. Okay? There's a somewhat more disturbing consequence if we set this teaching in, in full context. And that is this. When I feel that I'm at peace, I may simply be fooling myself. Uh, I may be just putting off the inevitable instead of preparing myself correctly. I may even be in collusion with forces that hide the truth from me. Okay? And then when someone comes and disturbs my peace, I think that person is bad. 
But that person who's telling me the truth about my situation may be doing me the best favor I could get. You know, Jeremiah was telling the people the truth, uh, but they didn't want to hear it because it meant they had to give up things. They, they had to surrender to the Babylonians, among other things. Jeremiah said, yes, this is God's will. Do it. Uh, don't hang on to this kingdom. He'll take care of it. Nope, got to get rid of Jeremiah. He's, he's the one demoralizing us, causing us to lose our peace. He's in the wrong. But we all do this when people tell us the truth to some extent, you know. We don't want to hear it. Let's take an extreme example uh, so that we can uh, make it more obvious. 200 years ago, southern plantation owners in this country may well have enjoyed a certain peace and prosperity on their own terms, but this was at the cost of imposed slavery on a large percentage of the population, which was too politically weak to oppose it. Now, when someone comes and enters a situation and denounces the system as unjust, that person will appear, uh, will be riling feathers and appear to be a threat to, to stability, will he or she not, right? On a somewhat lesser scale, when there's a church teaching that we find difficult, that, that seems to be a threat or a homily that unnerves me in some way, uh, will not that teaching or teacher seem to bring about division rather than peace. But it's at the service of a true peace because it's to move us out of our comfort zone so that we realize our only real peace is in Christ and our only real home is in the world to come. The fathers of the church, especially the monastic fathers, like to speak of something they called compunction. And uh, the word literally means uh, to be punctured. And this is what happens when our hearts are, are broken, punctured open by the realization of truth that we had been keeping out of our hearts, uh, that we've been hardening our hearts against. And sometimes the truth manages to get through, and then there's suddenly this spring that opens in us that's often accompanied by tears. But this is an image of a sword or a dagger piercing us, and it, as such it can sound violent and sound painful. But so is surgery to remove cancer. It's painful. But a person who has a life-threatening medical condition and refuses treatment on the grounds that the, the treatment is going to hurt uh, is placing temporary comfort above health and life. And what could we, what could we say about ourselves when we avoid the hard words of Jesus Christ, who is the physician of our immortal souls.